This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. <laughs> Hello once again, everybody. I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. Hi, guys. <laughs> Another week. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it so much. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming back. Yeah. Anything cool happening in your life? Oh, well, over the last little while, we didn't really do a recap last time. So let's see. Things I've done that I tried to, that I wanted to mention on the show. I hope I, I hope all of our uh, witch listeners out there had a lovely Hexanacht on April 30th. Uh, I had it. a lovely dinner with a, a, while a, back, a, but... a young witch that I, I know. It was a little while back, I know, but uh, you know, we haven't had a while to just chat about what's been going on. Let's see. Other ge- general springtime stuff. Lots of bike riding. Oh, I don't know if anyone knew this before, maybe from scratchiness on the microphone, but I used to have a beard. I do not have a beard <laughs> now. Uh, no, he is, <laughs> he's lost a lot of hair on his face and his head. It's getting hot outside, and I've it got is. a really cool trip coming up in which I will be wearing a scuba mask, and that is not compatible with the mustache that I had, so it's Which is all definitely gone. not a thing I had thought about until you told me about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I probably oh, could have made it work. Right. I considered shaving just the top half for like a Fu Manchu kind of look, but... <laughs> That would not didn't. have been a good choice. That was not a good idea. <laughs> so. And also, Logan's hair grows extremely quickly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I don't get attached to one one style or another because by the time you get a it, month later, like it, he's it, got it, a ton of hair again. And you're yeah. like, whoa. It's cool. Yeah. And I did. Oh, uh, I, I've started performing with a, uh, a, a murder mystery group. That's a cool thing. Yeah. I did a show just the other night. I did get murdered. That was fun. That's the um, best. Yeah, that was actually part I mean, of... fake murder. That's usually better than yeah. actual murder. But yes. I survived. Don't worry about it. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, but that was part of the impetus for me to cut my hair. As if I'm, uh, I was playing a dirty cop in that one. And my hair was pretty long. And I was just... Uh, I was backstage putting my costume together. And I thought, you know, is John Wick the only look I can do with this? <laughs> is, is that really... You definitely had a strong John Wick <laughs> vibe going on. That's for sure. So it's a... It's, definitely a different style now maybe i'll post a picture maybe not by the do time it. i get around to it'll have grown out to something different but do it you guys anyway. never see us so I think yeah it's summertime almost halloween yeah new hair don't <laughs> care uh that's pretty much the news from Loganland. what's up with you Lindsay? my hair's the same yeah um my life is the same i'm super boring <laughs> <laughs> um i'm nearly nearly caught up with critical role which is a big deal i guess cool other than that, like, it's mostly just been working and researching for this show. Yeah, yeah. I guess. A, that's that's what happens when you pick a show that's something you would do anyway. Something that we have yeah. done for fun all our lives and now exactly. we just get to talk about it. I mean, why else do people start podcasts, right? They just want to talk about the stuff they like. Exactly. And what do we yeah. like? We like booze and monsters. So we're going to talk about both. <laughs> So, in light of that, let's talk about our cocktail for tonight. Let's do it! It actually features elements that we've never used before on our show, and I'm actually pretty excited about it. And the main, or a main element in this recipe is Campari, 
which is a crimson red liqueur and it's bittersweet mm. and it's strong. It's like 48 proof and its underlying flavors are cherry, clove, rhubarb, cinnamon, and orange peel. Mm-hmm. And so for our cocktail, which is called the Kishi, which is also our creature, obviously. Ooh, um, I hope somebody guessed it. <laughs> if you didn't, don't worry. It was only the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? You could just be playing, you know, like pushing play and letting it go. So well, I know it's we, the Kishi. I, yeah, we, we didn't tell uh, anybody last week. We, we really tried to keep it under our hats. Yeah, even though you uh, may have guessed it from the second story where I was like, hey... <laughs> Our creature was... <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So our cocktail, it's called the Kishi. We add one ounce of Campari, one ounce of sweet vermouth, which in case you don't know, I mean, a lot of people know of vermouth, but don't really know what it is. It's an aromatized and fortified wine. It does have a fairly short shelf life. So I highly recommend keeping it in your fridge. Um, there's two different kinds of vermouth. There's sweet vermouth and dry vermouth. Uh, sweet vermouth is generally like reddish and dry is whitish. So mm. anyway, so you add those, the Campari and vermouth to a chilled glass, chilled glass with ice and you top it off with a brut bruschetta or any other dry sparkling wine that you like. Instead of a flute, I'd recommend a coupe, a Cosmo or a rocks glass, just f- kind of for flavor. It kind of fits Fits our creature a little bit better than the champagne flute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can garnish this with an orange peel if you'd like. I would recommend also adding a couple dashes of like orange bitters to it. I think that would really enhance the flavor a little bit. But the drink should, in general, uh, it should be a lovely like amber red color. Effervescent, slightly sweet, but with a kick of bitter. All yeah, kind of like have, our creature tonight. Yeah, find it does out. have kind of a, a two-faced <laughs> aspect to it, but it's still it good. Does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty simple. Put them all in a glass, a chilled glass with ice, and top it with Prosecco. It's great. So, we've talked about our cocktail. Let's talk a little bit more about Angola. Um, I know we talked about it a little bit last week, and the people that live there But just as a refresher, or in case you didn't listen to that episode, which is fine, um, Angola is a country that is on the southwest coast of Africa, and it's bordered by Namibia to the south, Zambia to the east, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo to the north. Yeah, Um, and I think it's right next door to Wakanda. (laughs) Definitely, yes. Yeah. (laughs) It is predominantly filled with Bantu peoples who are the speakers of Bantu languages, which means that there are several hundred indigenous ethnic groups uh, within sub-Saharan Africa. And they're across multiple countries, which are all technically Bantu peoples. And as such, there are hundreds of Bantu languages and hundreds of millions of Bantu speakers in the vast area of central to southern-ish Africa. So as far as Angola goes, and I know this is just a rehash from last week, but the ethno-linguistic groups that are there are the Ovenbundu, which is around 37% in around 2005, the Ambundu, sometimes known as the Kimbundu, and then the Bakongo, which is 13%. And then there's 25%, which is smaller groups, and some that are partially in other countries and stuff. So they're only, they're smaller in Angola because they're not fully present in just Angola. But uh, the Ubuntu or the northern Ubuntu, they speak 
the language Kimbundu, and then the Ovenbundu or the Southern Mbundu speak Umbundu. I know I've just said Umbundu a lot, but <laughs> there you go. There are also the Congo. They're they're also known as the Congo people, not to be confused with Democratic Republic Republic of the Congo. It's with a Congo with a K, not a C. Um, uh. And they speak Kikongo. So those are the predominant peoples in Angola. It was colonized by Portugal, but thankfully they gained their independence again in 1975. Um, I don't want to go too far down that road, road since we're like really not a history podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, we do know the colonization of Africa for the most part wasn't a great thing. Not so for super great. But yeah. it did have a large impact on the Angola that we know today. It's a combo it, it, of stuff. Yeah, and it gave their their language a whole lot of uh, Portuguese or Portuguese influenced yeah. well, actually, words. The holdover from that colonization is that Angola's official language is Portuguese, mm. but the three languages mentioned earlier are like essentially co-official languages. Gotcha. Because the most people are people that speak those languages, right? Yeah. So people kind of know Portuguese maybe as like their second language outside of their original dialect. So um, kind of how other countries have the same with English. It really depends, you know, who, whoever was like randomly present there because they decided they wanted to be there, (laughs) had some sort of influence on these countries throughout Africa. But anyway, um, let's get to our creature. What do you think? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So we proceed onward without fear of that, that which lies in the darkness. Bring forth the creature. Onward. ho. (laughs) Okay, so this week we are talking about the Kishi, which is actually pretty present in Angolan folklore, um, especially with the Ambundu people. Mm-hmm. So the word Kishi means spirit or demon in several Bantu languages. It might also be the word Nikishi or Mukisi, yeah, but we they met all them. mean about the same thing. Yeah, um, a, few, uh, a few stories ago we met the Makishi. Yeah, and the and- plural is Mukishi. Ah. Yeah. So mukisi is a different word, but they all kind of mean the same thing. So mukishi is multiple kishis, if that makes it easier to. <laughs> makes sense. That's why yeah. everything was called mukishi in the previous story. And that kind of like hid our creature a little bit, maybe. A little bit. Yeah. So... And also, well, in the in the story, <laughs> they were just trying to throw away creatures as, as a certain the bad cannibalistic yeah. Yeah, uh, group of monsters. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get yeah. into what's actually up with this creature, what's going on, you know. So they dwell in the hills, like the land that they frequent is typically they're considered like hill creatures um and they are extremely malicious but they are also very cunning and crafty they will enter a town under the guise of an extremely attractive and charming human man kind of similar to the encantado that we talked about a little while ago and he'll either he'll have um long hair or he'll be wearing a headdress so while in the village, he's he typically attends like village dances or celebrations um, in order to find the most attractive woman that he can, and he'll start courting her. So kind of like pumping up his smooth talking and his seduction tactics, and eventually mm-hmm. he will lure her off to a secluded location, which is like, you know, giant red flags always. Yeah. Um, Never a good idea. <laughs> no. So, like, a secluded location or to his lair, which is also extremely creepy. Um, And he'll 
take off his headdress or part his long hair only to reveal the face of a ravenous hyena on the back of his head. Dun, dun, dun. Which is creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And even worse, he will terrorize his victims to feed off of their fear mm-hmm. before attacking them with his hyena face, which has really long, sharp teeth and a jaw that is so powerful and strong that it locks and cannot be pulled off of anything that it bites, Ooh. Um, which falls in line with actual hyenas. They have Definitely. an extremely strong jaw that can lock. Advantageous that that's, the, that's attached to the second face, so it doesn't yes, lock down the, Much the primary stronger than human jaws. Yeah. Like hyenas, they have a, uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later on, but they have a stronger jaw pressure than like tigers and lions and coyotes. Like, oh, you fact, bet we're going to talk about that. <laughs> they do. They have one of the strongest bites in the world and they beat out otherwise, uh, they are beat out otherwise by like the really strong like hippos, jaguars, crocodiles, and sharks who can actually move both their top and bottom jaws, which is pretty neat. And also terrifying, because I'm scared (laughs) to death of sharks. So, (laughs) back to the Kishi. Once uh, Kishi bites down, the the victim is, like, basically out of luck and is well on her way to being pulled apart and (laughs) eaten. Um, And I believe that they are considered cannibals as they are a humanoid that eats other humanoids. That would work, yeah. Yeah, and that fits with the Makishi in the story that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. So and and why they're so anthema, you know, they look like a human and they're terrible and they eat you, you know, like all that, of the worst possible things. Yeah, they've got a lot of really <laughs> bad things going for them. I yeah. mean, even the traditional European werewolf or a lot of other lycanthropes have to kind of pick between one form or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like the Kishi actually gets both. I mean, it's a single headed but two faced creature. And mm-hmm. so they get both the ability to uh, camouflage themselves and move among humans and speak, but also get the terrible, you know, bite and, and I don't yeah. know, terror inducing uh, face of this hyena creature on For the sure. back of their head, too. There are also other versions that state that the Kishi is a shapeshifter and that it can be either in the form of a hyena, a man, or a skull for some reason. Mm. So that's kind of weird. But I guess it's handy if you're actually trying to hide what you really are, just like like werewolves do. Yeah. And then in, in other versions of the myth, other than just taking a victim off and just seducing her for, you know, a little while and then having a meal, um, some of them, <laughs> the, the Kishi will actually marry his victim and then have a child with her. And then once the kid is born, he will eat the wife and then take the child away with him to be raised as another flesh eater, which is terrible. (laughs) Which is just, just horrible. It's just so bad. Well, I mean, think about um, the the deception (laughs) involved with that. And then like, not only the weirdly abusive relationship of that, but also having a mom have her kid and then taking that kid away from her and taking the kid away from their mom like it's just a whole it's it just stacks all the horrible things just stack and it's ter- it's just bad and yet it runs uh, uh, uh more than a few parallels to the way that uh actual spotted hyenas live observation of them as a species has kind of been really difficult to start with and then as we've kind of watched them and uh, and tracked them, we've learned that they They're are sneaky. really, really unique 
they, yeah, are they are very very special creatures and I don't know if we want to dive into the, the zoology of them just we, yet. We will. But <laughs> um, I am, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit, a little bit. giggling I know as we go. Like, <laughs> like, looking at his animal facts. Um, yeah. <laughs> but basically, I'm not sure if, if Makishi are all male or if it's just males that uh, like actually appear in, in towns to hunt or otherwise. I'm not really sure about that. I kind of have a feeling that it might be multiple, pe- like there's multiple kinds you know old young men women whatever mm-hmm. um i'm not sure though because there's not a ton out there about kiyoshi like if we go with the versions of him having a kid before he kills his victim it doesn't really clarify if he waits for a male child which is kind of what made me start thinking about that and so it could be that whatever child comes first is who he takes because otherwise that's a pretty long con like just for a meal. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it does lay, lead to the question of uh how often do they are, eat? Are there and... are there are there female kishi? Exactly. Uh, makishi, I mean. And that's that was a question asked a whole lot when people were studying hyenas. And we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, soon, we will. But... <laughs> oh, that's but a... Tell us more about the kishi first. Um well, so if you're worried about kishis and you want to know how to ward off or fight them, yeah. Um, luckily, they can be warded off with fire or magic, uh, but they can also be killed by normal weapons. However, you are unlikely to survive one-on-one with them unless you're Logan. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll see him coming. It's a, yeah. yeah. I mean, your bear, your fighting off a bear tactic might, might not work. Oh, it would be with terrible. With their jaws. It'd be... Wouldn't work. No, no. definitely not. Um <laughs> But yeah, so you definitely want to fight them in a group. We highly recommend that. Or not fighting them at all. That would be probably if the best If you can idea. avoid the kishi, that's a, that. that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's even said amongst the Mbandu that a kishi was what killed the cultural hero Kumanoeze, who we heard a little bit about last week. Yeah, that's what got him. Uh, that's what yeah. ended his whole story. One Maybe of these, he tried these... to fight them alone and figured that out that it was a bad idea. And, uh, yeah, learned his lesson too late. Yes, it did. Okay, so what's <laughs> going to happen now is I found a cool, uh, I found a short excerpt of Hishior from a book that is called A Field Guide to Demons, Vampires, Fallen Angels, and Other Subversive Spirits by Carol K. Mack and Dynamac. So I'm going to read that story now. <laughs> I know that usually cool. you get Logan narrating tales because he's way better at it than me. <laughs> But this one is... Oh, I'm, I'm excited, Lindsay. This, is, this will be good. <laughs> it's not going to be it's... terrible. I'm sorry. But it's but it's fairly short. So you just, you get to hear it from me. You got it's this. just easier. <laughs> Let's roll. All right. So three sisters, after collecting water from the village river, decided to explore the land beyond. The girls knew it was dangerous to wander off beyond the boundaries of their village, but they forgot the warnings. And little did they know that the hills behind the river were inhabited by infamous Kishis. The sisters spotted a house in the distant hills and walked there. While they looked around the outside of the house, the Kishis watched from within and waited for their meal to enter. While the Kishis got dressed in their finest clothes, hid their hyena faces under their combed thick hair, and welcomed the girls into their home. The sisters went inside and dined with the Kishis, but the youngest sister did not eat. She sensed that something was terribly wrong. After the meal, the Kishis played music for the sisters, and... When night fell, the girls were shown a room in which they could sleep. When all was quiet in the house, the youngest sister whispered, I have seen their other faces. They will surely eat us. We must go now. 
So all the sisters climbed out the window and ran away. It was just in time, because when they looked back, they saw a terrible blaze. The Kishis had set the house on fire, hoping to roast the girls while they slept. Later, while the Kishis looked through the ashes, they did not find their human meat. They realized that the sisters had escaped and ran after them, hoping to catch them before they reached their own village. Meanwhile, the girls arrived at the river, but found it had risen during the night and was too deep to cross. They quickly climbed a tree. The Kishis spotted them and, enraged and snarling, roared that the sisters would never escape. The Kishis now revealed their hideous hyena faces, and as they pushed the tree trunk with their powerful bodies, the sisters shivered in the branches. As the tree began to sway back and forth, the girls knew they would fall. The youngest sister spied an eagle flying in the sky and called to it for help. She offered it chickens to eat if it would help them. The eagle swooped down, picked up the youngest sister, and brought her safely to the other side of the river. The eagle returned for the other girls, but alas, one of them was too heavy, so he had to drop her in the river below, and she was carried off. Before the eagle could reach the other, the tree gave way, and the last sister dropped in the arms of the waiting kishi below. She was never seen again. The end. <laughs> nice <laughs> work. my super dramatic well done, rating. Lindsay. <laughs> um, so if you, re- if you remember our tale from last week about Sudika Mabambi, Aramakishi showed up there. Um, like I said, the plural is Makishi. So it sounded mm-hmm. different. But there was that whole thing of them like trying to trick him into eating their food, um, which is very similar in this tale, right? So it was clearly a common thing among the Makishi. Um, I recommend maybe re-listening to that story from last week now that you have lots of Kishi knowledge. Mm-hmm. See it with a different, uh, different perspective. Yeah, exactly. Because now yeah. you know a little bit more about them as demons and horrible, horrible, horrible creatures. So it kind of gives that tale a new intensity, maybe. Yeah, a little bit yeah, scarier, you're, maybe. It's you're you're seeing another face of this creature. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the pun! <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so I did want to talk about alignment really quickly. Okay, um, and then we can get into some super neato hyena facts. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I do think that really this is a creature that is a very good kind of boilerplate monster manual creature for sure um yeah it, it yeah. it's it, roughly humanoid sized not super relies heavily on magic. charisma <laughs> yeah um, well, i guess but, he would be like charming charming spells like stuff that take over people's minds maybe or sure yeah my my, my warlock has the spell he hasn't used it that's uh friends yeah exactly what, friend, what friends does is it makes everybody that you're dealing with treat you as you know they were your friends if yeah as if you're friendly the downside to it is that as soon as the magic wears off (laughs) uh they know that you've been influencing them and they may dislike you afterward but i think it lasts Uh, like an hour so you're good getting it out right (laughs) so so if i I feel like the kishi would have some kind of ability like for sure yeah for sure um they they're definitely evil um, but I'm oh, kind of sure. wavering between chaotic and lawful because, like, they clearly have a method to their seduction and their murder, but they're mm-hmm. also super driven by, like, their animalistic hunger and the need to terrorize their victim. Yeah, I would probably, in, in the D&D world, I would probably <laughs> put them somehow related to gnolls via magic somehow. It would definitely make sense. And that Visually, would put at them... Least. Uh, you know, as followers of Yinogu, uh, who is the the god of all the gnolls and the flins, and so <laughs> I love yes, that you know that. 
for all of the hyena types, I think the Kishi would fit right in there. Yeah. And actually, if, if you wanted to, I, I think they would find a, ni- a neat home as the thinkers of the group. Uh, usually that's uh, the character. The other creatures like the based on hyenas and- are a little bit brutal and savage. Uh, while the Kishi trick, uh, is definitely tricksy. a scheme, yeah, a schemer for sure, and they're very, very clever, very yeah, intelligent, and, clever, and charismatic creatures for sure. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I really only, I really only uh, even bring that up uh, because Yinogu, in if I remember correctly, with no research because <laughs> I'm just that kind of nerd, um, <laughs> is lawful evil. And that's because Yinogu is on one side big on slavery and captivity, but on the other side, he knows his place and his followers know their yeah, place. Yeah, it's like a hierarchy in, in the food thing. Chain. Yeah, which they falls are, in line with hyenas scavengers. in general. But yeah. I don't know necessarily about Kishis. That's kind of why I keep going back and forth between yeah, chaotic and lawful. I could be way off with that. I'm just, that yeah. could be a jump that doesn't need to be made. I think I'd but, personally probably pick chaotic evil for them. Seems just because they chaotic. enjoy it so much. They yeah. enjoy the torture and the that like hunger. Like it's a ravenous hyena head. Like it, they're driven literally just by their hunger. You know, mm-hmm. which is why I'd probably lean that way. But it could definitely be. It's it's they're definitely evil, and it's somewhere within that range. <laughs> yeah, is I guess what we could say <laughs> for sure. Um, I do think it is noteworthy. Um that uh, I, I was kind of bouncing around a little bit of my own research on the Kishi. And there was a fun video on how to draw the Kishi by a dude named Arthur Short. Um, oh, cool. And he brought up the similarities, at least visually, uh, between the Kishi in the stories and someone suffering from vanishing twin syndrome. Oh, um, okay. To have uh, a second face somewhere on the body. Right. Uh, is not a medical impossibility. Right. And, and that's the one that, like, you, like, eat your twin in the womb or yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, end one up with twin some remnant of them the on you. Right. Yeah. And that would be an interesting kind of uh, possible explanation for the, the physical end of the myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely a magical supernatural element to this creature as well especially with it being an animal head instead of like two human heads or whatever but that yeah that's definitely interesting to to think Mm -hmm. about the medical potential medical aspects of it you know maybe someone saw an anomaly and that's what sparked this kishi idea I, i i love the idea that that any story can have at least a seed of of truth and fact i think they all do they have to you know i mean there's Mm -hmm. there's uh so many commonalities with different kinds of myths all throughout the world that it really would just it would just have to to be something that, that somebody saw sometime and they thought about it and they told someone else about it and it became this whole thing and i mean that's how stuff grows and that's how we got basically all the folklore that we have now which is really cool because humans are humans and encounter many of the same things no matter where they are in the world right mm-hmm. so gotta make up some stories about them but anyway let's talk about hyenas oh um, finally <laughs> i yes. didn't i didn't want to bury the lead by like talking about them before the whole like big sneaky hyena face reveal <laughs> which is why <laughs> normally i talk about animals before the creature but anyway so hyenas little general information they're they're typically found all across the sub-saharan africa so mid like central southish 
Africa. And they are there there's a few different kinds of hyena. There's the striped hyena, the spotted hyena, which is the one that's infamous for its laugh. Um, yeah, if you're if you're thinking the Lion King hyenas, you're thinking of spotted yes, hyenas. Yes, they are the spotted hyenas yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the brown hyena, which I don't know a ton about. And then there's the ard wolf, which is definitely not a wolf. It is a hyena. Nope. <laughs> um, they aren't related to cats or dogs, really. They're actually in their own family. They're more closely related to felines than canines, but they are even closer related to animals like mongooses and meerkats. They have excellent night vision and hearing. They can live up to like 20, 25 years. And they have longer front legs than they have back legs, which kind of gives them that sloping appearance and that very unique gait. Um, they they all howl and yell and vocalize and they vocalize this chattering laugh to a degree. But spotted hyenas are the ones that are very, very vocal, which is like Logan said, the Lion King ones. Yeah. And striped ones are relatively quiet in comparison. They're actually, uh, there's quite a number of differences between the spotted and striped hyenas, like a lot. Um, mm. That laugh, though, it can be heard up to like five kilometers away, which is like maybe three ish miles. And it is a very distinct animal sound. Yeah. And it's used to and- alert like the other clan members and its clan members because they are not a pack. They, it's used to alert them of a food source or something like that. It's used to communicate. They don't just randomly giggle and laugh for no reason. <laughs> Something that's kind of a common misconception about hyenas is that they are all like primarily scavengers. Spotted hyenas, they actually catch about 70 to 95% of their food. And like a group of spotted hyenas can bring down a huge animal like a giraffe or a zebra or a buffalo. Mm-hmm. The striped hyena, however, is more of a scavenger and is probably where that misconception kind of comes from. And they're the ones that like forage at night for other animals, leftovers, including humans, not the leftovers, but humans, leftovers, <laughs> human animals, leftovers. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they, <laughs> they are scavengers, but also predators. Yeah. Like people in villages will leave their trash outside just for the hyenas to take, you know, mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I think this goes for all hyenas, but I could be wrong. They consume as much as they possibly can from their prey, which includes skin, bones, hair, horns, hooves. Um, however, hair, horns, and hooves are the, they are the only things that are not fully digested, and they actually re- like regurgitate them as pellets, kind of like owls do, mm-hmm. and probably other animals that I know of. Something really cool with spotted hyenas is their social system. Oh, yeah. Now, I am very excited about all things hyena, (laughs) uh, but this is Lindsay's creature. So you start and and whatever. (laughs) You pipe in. Okay. Yeah, whatever you got. (laughs) Spotted hyenas, they group into female-dominated clans, um, and they have a really interesting social system that's all based on female status and relation. So it's not based on size. It's not based on strength. The females are much larger and more aggressive than the males. And they are also really difficult to tell apart from males, as their genitalia looks very similar to a male's due to their pseudopenis. Yes, the pseudopenis. <laughs> we, we're going to get there eventually. Yes, we will. <laughs> we have. Um, so it's yeah. basically what why they have one. It's it's an enlarged clitoris, and there are fibrous sacs that it, they're just like 
weird fiber sacs, but they end up looking like a scrotum. So apparently this happens because of sexual mimicry. And the theory is that the females who look like males might end up being protected from the aggression of other females. So it's, it's like a tactic to stay safe. So if mm. someone can't tell from far away that you're a male or female, you might be safer looking like a male, which is the conjecture of why they have these pseudo penises. But I think like, because like they still have an internal vagina and I know we're getting like too far into this, but, um, (laughs) but their urinary tract is still up by their clitoris, which is, you know, generally where it is, um, which means they actually like pee out of it too. So (laughs) it's, it's pretty weird, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's actually led to a lot of confusion as scientists have For tried sure. to study the spotted hyena. Yeah, and it's hard um, to tell with behavior because you can't tell who's female and who's male, you know. And what they have observed is that the females are more aggressive, so it it'd be really hard to tell that apart when you're just trying to observe. Yeah, it's when you're when you're looking at a, a group of hyenas and it's you're trying to kind of classify them and take a population count, and you're saying, okay, we have X amount of male hyenas. <laughs> Where are the females? You have 100% male hyenas. Yeah. We've got a big group of male hyenas over here. And it's kind of hard, too, because they they typically go out and hunt in either solo or in small groups. And then mm-hmm. they go back to a den, right? They're not with other hyenas super often. So you'd have no. to follow an individual hyena to know much about it. And that makes it really and hard to learn about their like social structure. Yeah, and and really, they're like I say, they are unique. They you mentioned that they are a female-led social hierarchy, mm-hmm. and actually, in in a hyena pack, uh, males cannot ascend to dominance. It's all based that on how you're related to the hyena, like queen, essentially. Like if yes. if her her daughter will have higher status than any other daughter mm-hmm. or mother in the clan, right? Like it'll. And, that's exactly what it is. It's all bloodline for them. And male hyenas, um, uh, when they are born and when they are cubs, uh, they have a certain kind of reserved space by association to their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when they are old enough to fend for themselves, they are all but exiled from the pack because they are immediately shoved down to the bottom, the very, very bottom yeah. of the hierarchy. And they are pushed out to go find another pack. And it's it's been kind of thought by a lot of people studying them that this is to prevent inbreeding, but also uh, to give the males a chance to go challenge another pack for, for dominance and, you know, make the bloodline stronger and all this. Uh, the problem is, is when a latecomer joins a pack, they join all the way at the end. They do not get the opportunity to challenge for leadership. Yeah. And if they Which do, I guess they were anyway. they usually run out. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, another fun they note about no the pseudo penis so <laughs> and the, and, and the female dominated uh, organization with hyenas. They, the females have even been observed to mount uh, the males uh, yeah. in mock mating rituals. Well, and I guess which, they can, they can get erections with it too, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, they can erect them at will, mm-hmm. it's believed. They can just sit around erecting their pseudo-penises. So if you want, like, them in the, the most powerful magical penis, apparently it belongs to a female spotted hyena. <laughs> yep. And they've, they've got other cool stuff, too. They have, um, so female spotted hyenas, they have, they have the most protein-rich milk of any terrestrial carnivore. 
it's so cool. It's, it they have super milk, it's and gotta, I think that's a. It's got to be due to yeah. like their their diet and the fact. Yeah, that look what they eat. Exactly. Uh, they like their bodies have adapted they, to eating everything from an animal. You know, you'd have to have mm-hmm. the strongest intestine in the entire world to digest what they end up digesting, right? Yeah, you you often see really really strong uh, stomach acids and other. Uh, other body chemicals um, associated cued off of bite strength Um, Mm -hmm. in crocodiles. You see this a lot in in lions you do. And especially with hyenas. Sure. Um, We we talked a little bit about bite strength. They have, they have the bite strength. They do. They are, they are so, so powerful. Um, And they even have, if you ever get a chance to look at a spotted hyena's skull, uh, they've got a really, really pronounced sagittal crest on the back, uh, which is, okay, for those of you who are not phrenology nerds out there, if anyone's ever pet a dog or a cat, and they have that little nump on their lump on the back of their head between their ears that most animals like pet, that's a sagittal crest. And that's where, <laughs> <laughs> that's where jaw muscles come up and they, they wrap around and they connect. Um, oh. And the larger one of those is typically thought to be the stronger the animal's bite strength is. Well, you would need more and surface hyenas. area for the muscles to like attach to because there's probably exactly. more muscles. That makes a lot of sense. So hyenas have what looks like a fin coming off of their head. Um, They're bumpy boys. Yep. And they are very fancy. Or girls, I guess. <laughs> or girls, yeah. <laughs> or pseudo, pseudo boys. I don't know. Pseudo boys? Boy, B-O-I. Either way. Definitely uh, B-O-I. Yeah. <laughs> freaking sweet animal. Yeah. One of my favorites. They are kind of uh, cute Spotted too. hyena. I know people don't oh, think yeah. that they are, but they are kind of cute. They, they look, do have a cuteness with their kind of round ears. Yeah, and They kind of look like a cross and, to me of like uh, a bear puppy. And they're not related they to either, but like they kind of puppy. look like, like a pupper bear. You know? And there's a really great image floating around the internet of, uh, uh, I believe it's a gentleman in Nigeria walking a I, I wouldn't say domesticated hyena um <laughs> down the street well, and actually, he has people keep them as pets like they're they're considered oh, yes. like very loyal and trustworthy pets too which mm-hmm. is very cool but also yeah. scary <laughs> yeah the, the the one image i've seen uh it's being held with a chain that i believe was taken from some kind of heavy industrial yard <laughs> and it it's being held by a very intimidating uh Man, who I, even I wonder if he's strong enough to hold that animal back if it ever wanted yeah. to break loose, and much yeah. less if it bites you. Because man, <laughs> yikes! Um, so I did want to talk really, really quickly about the flip side because we talked about the social groupings and stuff of spotted hyenas, but with striped hyenas, um, they actually live in small groups of like, um, whereas the spotted can live into groups of like 80 to 90 hyenas um even though they hunt in like individually or in very small groups striped hyenas they live in a group with like one female and several males and Mm -hmm. they they'll generally forage individually because like i said these are the scavenging ones um rather than hunting ones like the spotted ones are they live in a den with their small little clan but their den is usually like temporary and they typically move around a lot so they, they stay pretty small for that reason. They tend to stay away from other carnivorous mammals like lions and tigers, um, whereas the spotted hyena is in direct competition with lions. Oh, they're right Oh, in yeah. There. So yeah. They, they will scavenge the lions and the spotted hyenas will scavenge each other's kills 
and often fight each other and one or the other might end up dead. So the biggest threat to spotted hyenas is lions because they're fighting for each other's food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot a lot of hyena death uh, of spotted hyena deaths end up to be from lions. Striped hyenas don't have that problem because they stay far away until the lion or whoever is totally done and left their prey because they can eat anything, right? So no reason not to, no reason not to wait in a far distance until someone is all done with their meal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I Yeah, I, I, I really love what, uh, again, just tying it back to uh, the YouTube channel Tearzoo. Uh, <laughs> my, he's, he's got a great way of looking at, at different parts of the world and the animals that live there. And the, the, the Africa server is one of the most challenging servers to roll a character on. Uh, <laughs> everything is working against you. It is a mean PvP server. It is not something for noobs. Uh, <laughs> and the hyena, both the spite, striped and spotted, they are core core players. Oh, on, for on sure. These, yeah, they are right up there. Um, yeah. Especially the spotted, like it's oh, yeah. it's high contender, and I mean, there's there's a lot of superstition that surrounds hyenas um, with myth myths like the kishi or claiming that hyenas eat children or they rob graves, which could be true. I don't know, but stuff like the representation wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, but- <laughs> it's the carcass that you left there. I mean, that's what they do, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of superstition in trying to prevent them to from doing that. Um, but stuff like the representation kind of in the, like the Lion King probably didn't help the vibe that all these hyenas have in, in our social culture today. Like when you think hyenas, yeah. you're like, okay, I know they laugh. I know that they're scavengers. I know that they are kind of mean, you know? And I mean, some of those are true in aspects, but really they're not. They're actually super intelligent and very social creatures um, when they want to yeah. be. And they're extremely attentive to their young, actually. And like I said, some mm-hmm. are kept as, like, loyal pets. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's interesting. They're, they're very interesting creatures. Um, as Logan has said, he enjoys <laughs> the... It's, learning about it's them. Easy to, it's easy to get passionate about about them uh, because they are unique. They are yeah, really very. special. And there's something that we, uh, as humans, we didn't really know a whole lot about them until we gained tools and study techniques that let us uh, kind of keep an eye on them without... Yeah, like motion uh, cams and... Yeah, without disturbing them mm-hmm. and also being awake and in the right place to really observe them. Yeah, an understanding um, of other human or other animal behavior and being able yeah. to contrast that and figure out ways of studying creatures even better you know we we're only getting smarter about it our technology is only becoming more helpful and less invasive into their actual culture like if you have a group of gorillas that you're sitting there watching they're going to behave completely differently than they would actually behave without you there you know oh yeah so it's so valuable to have that technology and really, I think we're slowly learning that everything is connected, including us. Mm-hmm. And we are animals. Uh, there's really no, there's no better example of embracing that connection to an ecological system than the spotted hyena. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a creature that really owns its role and has a whole lot of impact on everything else that goes around. Yeah, and is also very unique at the same time. They're yeah. really cool creatures. So. so that's what we have for you this week with our Kishi and our, our hyena discussion. 
<laughs> well, that was fun. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Yeah, no problem. Um, it was really fun to study both the Kishi and the hyenas. It was very interesting. So we're headed to our promo for this week, which actually ties back to what you talked about initially in this episode. Our promo is for a show that is called This Is Where the Magic Happens. And Ooh. it's Angela and Ryan, and they talk about the mystical, like astrology, the paranormal, witchcraft, and psychics, and everything in between. Um, so it's super interesting and informative. So if this sounds like your thing, check them out. Super cool. It's magic with a K. CK. Even better. Even better. So the best kind of we magic. are gonna play their promo for you right now. Hi, I'm Angela Lovell. I'm a psychic, an empath, indigo child, and a witch. And my name is Ryan Singer. I'm a stand-up comedian, paranormal investigator, and an empath. And our podcast is called This Is Where the Magic Happens. Yeah, we walk you through the paranormal, witchcraft, how to get in touch with your spirit guides, how to astral project, and be the most magical you you can be. And there's a lot of cat talk. A lot of cats. Uh, but most of all, we want you to know this, this shit, shit is, is real. real. All right, guys. So, as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore on the Rocks. You can find us at Twitter at Folklore Rocks. <laughs> uh, pictures, notes, sources on FolkloreOnTheRocks.com. This week we'll have some cool artistic renditions of Kishis, the two, two-faced Kishi, and uh, some pictures of Hyena and stuff like that. So I recommend checking it out. It'll also have a bunch of links to where I found all my research. Um, so check that out if you want. We have a Patreon if you want to contribute there. We have a PayPal button on our website if you would like to make one-time donation. Uh, we are giving out free stickers still if you want to write a review and send a screenshot in. And like I said, 100 reviews. We're going to do that bonus episode for you guys. Um, so... Tell your friends if you think anybody would be interested in our contents. Uh, hopefully, you have lots of friends who are super into folklore or cryptids or whatever, and you tell them yeah, all about or go it. Go to places where there are other people who are passionate about this stuff because really, it's something pretty cool. Yeah. And if you need stickers to yeah. go stick up in your local coffee shop, I can do that for you. Let me know. Perfect. <laughs> um, so. We, we just want to say thanks again for listening, um, and we hope you tune in to us next Sunday. Yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye.